0: So the book of Proverbs is full of godly wisdom. It's not just like, you know, helpful antidotes for stuff, but it's, 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 it's really wisdom, the, the, the word wisdom means skillful living. And we need some skillful living. Because we, for, 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 for years and decades, we have had a lot of teaching about skillful beliefs in the church, skillful doctrine, skillful theology. But if it doesn't translate to your life, it doesn't matter how well you believe. It doesn't matter how skillfully you believe and how big and mighty your faith is. If it doesn't work itself out in your Monday through Saturday, it does you no good. It does you absolutely no good. All the teaching, all the books that you've read, all the videos that you watched, all the, the YouTube preachers that you listen to and, and even a few of my sermons will do you absolutely no good if you don't know how to apply it to your life. Wisdom is the ability to take what you know, what you know to be true, what you believe, what you feel in your heart. It's the ability to take that and translate it into your everyday life and uh, to some extent I mean it is the point <laughs> wisdom is the point of everything but to some extent honestly uh, when it comes right down to it God wants you to walk in wisdom because that's what changes your life that's what shifts the atmosphere of your home that's what shifts the atmosphere of your of, of, of your attitude and of your mindset and even and even of your anxiety that's that's what that's what helps us live fearlessly and in fact uh, in Proverbs Proverbs chapter 1 that's what wisdom says she says everybody who 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 holds on to me lives without fear of evil because wisdom helps us to know God's perspective on what we're doing wisdom helps us to know how we should skillfully live and apply what we know to our lives and so for the next few minutes i want to look at um just sort of an introduction into the book of proverbs and uh we're calling it an invitation because there are three invitations so i have a slide for you uh, the three different invitations that wisdom gives in the book of proverbs uh, in the book of proverbs wisdom is personified as a woman and um she is found calling different people uh, uh she's, she's calling them to herself so, so, so she's, she's calling out, and the very first call that she makes is in chapter one, and this is a call to salvation. Wisdom puts forth a call to salvation. This call to salvation is put forth to three individuals. Number one, the scoffer, and number two, the fool, and number three, the simple. And these three individuals you find throughout the book of Proverbs, and, and, and wisdom is calling out to them, and it is a call to salvation because salvation is available to everybody. No matter who you are today, no matter where you are today, No matter what other voices are tempting you and calling out to you, there is a voice of God that is offering freedom for you, that is offering salvation. In fact, in chapter 1, we're going to get into it next week, but in that first call, wisdom says, if you come to me, I will pour out my spirit on you. I love that. Wisdom and God are almost synonymous sometimes. So wisdom is calling out to all of us, whether you're a scoffer, whether you you think this whole thing is a joke, whether you're a fool, uh, you you know, you're just a little little bit hateful toward life in general, or if you're simple, you're just easily persuaded. The truth is God is calling out to every one of us. He's putting forth a call to salvation. The second call is found in chapter 8, and this is, surprisingly enough, a call to wealth. Some of you guys don't think that, that the Bible wants us to be wealthy. Well, Proverbs actually, this is a call to wealth, financial wealth, uh, emotional wealth, spiritual wealth. God wants us to live in abundance and wisdom helps teach us how to do that. And so uh, it, it, it's amazing to me, it's a call to wealth, but he, he, he only offers this call to two individuals and it's the fool and the simple. For this call, the scorner is excluded. There are some things that you just cannot get until you get salvation. (laughs) And so the scorner has to go through the front door first. And after that, there is this call to wealth. There is this call to abundance. And then the final call is found in chapter 9. Wisdom calls out only, this time, only to the simple. The fool is excluded. And this is a call to abundant life. Call to abundant life. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to look at these three different calls. We're going to look at these three different individuals so you so so you you might want to stick around i I believe that it it, it will really apply to each and every one of our lives because we all have a little bit of scoffer in us we all have a little bit of fool in us and we all have a little bit of simple in us and we need wisdom to receive these calls we need wisdom to learn how to walk in salvation we need wisdom to learn how to walk in the wealth that god has provided for us we need wisdom to walk in the abundant life that god is promising us um, and these are the calls. This is the offer of God to us today. I believe it is for us today. But um, today I want to start off really the way the author starts off. The author of Proverbs is a man by the name of Solomon. And uh, Proverbs can really be um, broken up <clears throat> into two main sections. The first section is chapters 1 through 9. And then the rest of the chapters, the, the other, I'm not good at math, 22 chapters, would really, would really um, be the second half, if you will. Of Proverbs, and we're probably going to stay mostly in the first half, um, because the second half is is specific advice, specific notes, and nuggets of wisdom for different areas of life. The first nine chapters, though, is really the why. The first nine chapters uh, of 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 the Book of Proverbs, mostly written by Solomon, is is pretty much just the why. Why do you want wisdom? within those nine chapters we find the three calls of wisdom within those nine chapters we also find a lot of the why and so i'd like for us to look right now to um chapter four uh if you if you uh if i think we're gonna have up on the screen chapter four yeah and and we're gonna read through the first eight or nine verses of chapter four and this is one of the why's this is one of the ways that um, proverbs puts forth wisdom Uh, he says hear my children the instruction of a father and give attention to no understanding for i give you good doctrine do not forsake my law when i was my father's son tender and the only one in the sight of my mother he also taught me and said to me these words he said let your heart retain my words keep my commands and live keep my commands and live going on to verse five you you, there's 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 life inside of these commands And verse five is probably the verse we're probably looking at a lot today it says get wisdom exclamation point Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her wisdom. Do not forsake wisdom and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the main thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, she will promote you, she will bring you honor when you embrace her, and she will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Let's leave this scripture up there for just a minute. A crown of glory she will deliver to you. It, you there's some people that that put their own crown on, <laughs> but I would rather have the crown that, that wisdom puts on. I would I'd rather let God put some authority in my life instead of me trying to Anyway, okay. Uh, So some of you wearing your own crowns, good luck on that. Um, (laughs) Burger King used to have those cardboard ones. That might look good on you. But uh, as for me, I'll I'll just hang out and wait for wisdom to crown me herself. I'm not going to try to tell people that I'm something else. I'm just going to let wisdom do the talking. Anyway, let the wisdom do the talking for you. This is what it says. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget nor turn away from words of my mouth. Don't forsake her love her and she will keep you wisdom is the principle Wisdom is the primary thing. Now this, this word in the original language is kind of confusing and, and people, different scholars have different opinions about what this verse means. If you read it in the New King James Version, like we have it right here, it says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Same thing with the old King Jimmy Version. Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the summit, because the word can mean summit or mountaintop. Wisdom is the height. Wisdom is the top. I mean, it's, it's better than the best and better than all the rest. It is, it is the best that you can possibly get, therefore get wisdom. And that translation makes sense, especially when you look at the next um, uh, uh, phrase there. He says, and in all of your getting, and in all of your getting. Now, he's not talking about, while well, you get all this other stuff, also get wisdom. But he's saying with all of your getting, with everything you have accumulated so far, it is worth it if you take that all of that and purchase wisdom. It is worth it if you take all of your cash, if you take all of your assets, if you take everything that you value in life and you trade it in for, wor- for, for wisdom, it's worth it. That's what he's saying. He's, he's really expounding on the value. The immense value of wisdom. He's saying, look, and and, and, and in another another place, he says, nothing that you could compare to wisdom could possibly compare. You try to measure things up next to wisdom, and it just just doesn't work that way. You have to understand the immense value of wisdom. Uh, The other possible translation, uh, if you read, uh, I think it's the NIV version, you will see that it does not say wisdom is the principal thing. It says... Uh, It says wisdom is the beginning or the beginning of wisdom is to get wisdom Uh, That's the NIV version the beginning of wisdom is to get wisdom and it sounds a little bit confusing but but it means a similar thing because it means that in order if you if you want to know how to get wisdom First of all you have to value wisdom So the first step for all of us whatever stage of life we're in wherever perhaps we're a scoffer perhaps we're a bit foolish and perhaps we're just simple we need to learn to value wisdom to put a high price tag on wisdom, a high value on wisdom and solomon knows a little bit about this the guy who wrote this is the guy by the name of solomon solomon is the son of david david was a successful king of israel for most of his life a couple of weeks ago i talked about the the three days in his life in which he, he, he failed as a king. Uh, but he regained the throne and he went on to be a fairly successful king for the rest of his life. And he had this son, Solomon. Actually, Solomon's not his birth name. But anyway, Solomon is his son. Solomon takes over as the next king of Israel because God appoints Solomon through David to become the king of Israel. And, and, and Solomon had an immense desire for wisdom. If you, if you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 1 uh, verses 7 through 10 you will find that that God appears to Solomon and says on that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him ask what shall I give you what what exactly would you how would you respond to that however you would respond to that will let you know a little bit about what's in your heart about what you really desire because God is the God you've made me king in his place now lord god let your promise to david my father be established for you have made me king over a people that's like the dust of the earth in multitude give me wisdom and knowledge that i may go out and come in before this great people for who can judge this great people of yours when solomon was asked what he wanted solomon said my heart's desire is wisdom because your heart, and so when Solomon is, is talking to his son, he says, you really need to desire. He spends nine chapters explaining why you need to desire wisdom. That's what he says. He says, love her. The word love means to breathe after her. Be desperate for her. Be, be, be anxious for wisdom. Be looking for wisdom. Be on the watch for wisdom. Dream about wisdom. Fantasize about wisdom being wise, desire wisdom. Because Solomon knows, and and many of us are figuring this out as we journey through life, that our destiny is not directed by our decisions. Our destiny is directed by our desires. You You have to take inventory of your desires. You have to take inventory of what you want. And you have to be honest about this because what you want is what you will go after. It doesn't matter what you think you should do. You can even you can, you can, you can say, well, I should do this, I should do that. Well, that's, that's good and all, but your I want statement will always overcome your I should statement. It might take a little bit of time. It might take a few years. It might take a little while. But your, what you want is in the drive, your desire is in the driver's seat of your life. It is. You can't, you, can't, you can't divorce your desires from your destiny. Your destiny unfolds in accordance with your desires. And that's, that's, that's kind of a newsflash for many of us because we've grown up in a generation that really divorces desire from decision. Because we're so used to We're so used to having a heart that is always desiring the wrong thing, and we don't know how to change that. So, all we do is behavioral modification, and we try to adjust our decisions that we make. But nothing ever changes in our heart. And so, we're basically like, you know, kind of like my five year old kid, still desiring everything for himself, still desiring, I mean, still selfish like a little five year old, but we've learned to act a little more adult because people don't like it when you throw fits and cry and scream in the middle of a, of a, of a grocery store. They, they, they look at you odd, right? They think you're, you're strange. So we've learned to adopt our behavior a little bit, but we haven't changed our desires. But desire is always in the driver's seat. Whatever, what, whatever your, 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 your intention is, your desire will always win out. What you want, what you love, what you desire will drive your destiny. And that's why Solomon says, son, the first step is you have to desire wisdom or else you will get nowhere. You'll never get wisdom. And even in the church, we've kind of avoided this whole desire thing uh, because it's easier sometimes to speak to behavior than it is to speak to heart. (laughs) It's easier to measure how well people are behaving it's easier to measure how well people are performing as opposed to their heart. Because it's really, you can't know someone's heart. You try to, try to look in their heart and you don't, you don't see what's going on. It's easier to judge people based on their behavior than it is to, based on their heart. To tell who's in and who's out. To figure out who's with us and who's against us. And, and, and the church oftentimes has resorted to looking at behavior and speaking to behavior. Ever even getting to the heart issue. There's a passage, John 14. Jesus said, "If you love me," I think we have it. He says, "If you love me, comma, you will keep my commandments." And this scripture actually is frequently used, or has been frequently used. Those of you that grew up in the church has been used as almost like a uh, like a battering ram or <laughs> something to hit you upside the head, right? Because basically, you don't really love Jesus because you're not keeping his commandments. It's kind of the way that it's presented. And what happens is we end up living on the wrong side of the comma. We read it as if you will keep my commands if you love me. And so we focus on keeping his commands because that will prove to Jesus and to the rest of the world that we do, in fact, love him. And so our entire life is focused on trying to keep these commands when that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, hey, you need to keep my commands so that you will show everybody that you love me. That's not what he said. He said, if you love me, if you desire me, if you love me, then you will keep my commands. There's a huge difference there. You spend all your time trying to keep commands and you kept commands for two weeks straight and you're like, yeah, I don't know how I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life, but yeah, two weeks. Keep my commands. You spend all this time and effort trying to keep commands, and Jesus says, no, 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 if you love me. If you spent half as much time falling in love with Jesus as you do trying to serve Jesus, you would be able to serve Jesus the way that you want to serve Jesus. Because if you love me, if you desire me, if you long for me, if you dream about me, if you yearn for me, if you can't wait to be next to me, then you will keep my commands. I've been married like almost 10 years, happily married to lovely Rowena right here, coming up on almost 10 years. And I think this this scripture could apply to every marriage in here. If you love your wife, you will not commit adultery, right? Somebody should just say an amen right there. Everyone's like, really? Really? Is that the deal? Oh my goodness. Nobody told me that. Newsflash, by the way, adultery is bad. Don't do it. (laughs) I thought we knew this. Come on, people. If you you love your wife, you'll not commit adultery. And so you can spend the rest of your married life thinking, okay, I cannot commit adultery, I cannot commit adultery because I have to prove that I love my wife. I cannot commit adultery, I cannot commit adultery. You You can live on that side of the comma if you want. But the problem is, you will not do what you say you should not do. You will not do what you don't want to do. That's why when Jesus came along, he said, you've heard it said by men of old, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, Uh uh-oh, oh, cool, we can do it now. Awesome, Jesus, this is changing the rules, this is good. Jesus says, you've heard it said you should not, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust or desire after her in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery can happen from across the room hold up, hold up. Wait. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't rent a hotel room. I didn't, I didn't even touch the girl. But, but you can commit adultery when you want to commit adultery, because adultery starts in the heart. Because God's not looking at your hands. He's looking at what you want. So, I'm not saying that to be harsh or judgmental, but I'm telling you, if you can live on this side of the comma. If you can fall in love with Jesus, if you can fall in love with wisdom, if you can fall in love with God's way of doing life, if you can fall in love with skillful living, then you won't struggle with trying to keep the commands. You will keep his commands. You will keep all of them because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. His commands are not burdensome. They are not heavy. They are not difficult to people who love him. If you're finding difficulty keeping the commands if you're finding difficulty not cheating on your wife fall in love with your wife and you won't have you won't even want to cheat on her you can say I'm not gonna cheat I'm not gonna cheat I'm I'm not gonna commit adultery I'm not gonna commit adultery but if you took half the amount of time that you're trying not to commit adultery and just put it into faithfully loving the woman you vowed to love And you fall in love all over again, you don't want to commit adultery anymore. It's not even an argument. It's not even a thought. Well, how did I do that? You got, it, because what you love will always determine your destiny. And this is what Solomon says. He says, love wisdom. Love wisdom. Don't love pleasure. Don't love uh, success. Don't love money. Love wisdom. And when God comes to you which he will all of life will come to you and say Solomon what do you really want you get anything you want what do you want his answer he didn't have to think about it he didn't have to say well I need to phone a friend he didn't he didn't he didn't have to go away and I really need to consider I got money I mean I could have endless fame wow what do I really want he simply knew what he wanted because his heart was already set on wisdom he said I need wisdom why why does he need wisdom because the level of his vision far exceeded the level of his resources. One of the reasons why we don't desire wisdom is because the level of our vision is pretty much right at the level of our resources. <laughs> It says, if, 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 if we go back to 2 Chronicles, it says on that night. It says on that night God appeared. On that night, there was a particular night that God appeared to Solomon. It says on that night. Well, if you want to know what that night is, you have to look at verses 1 through 6. That night is the night that, 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 he, is, that, that he is celebrated by all of Israel. And the, and the Bible says about Solomon that he was exceedingly great. And one of the reasons why we don't desire wisdom is because we become exceedingly great where we're at and where we're exceedingly great at mediocre exceedingly great at survival exceedingly great at just getting by exceedingly great at a decent relationship exceedingly great in an okay marriage exceedingly great with kids that don't drive us entirely crazy exceedingly great with the church where you know it's just, it's just God shows up every now and then exceedingly great where you know somebody gets saved every now and then exceedingly we become exceedingly great at being okay and and our in our resources match our vision and so we don't really need a whole lot of wisdom but if you listen to what Solomon says, he says, who can really judge this people? Now his dad did a pretty darn good job. His dad didn't have the wisdom that Solomon's about to get. He says, who can judge this people? Saul did a fairly good job as well before his dad. But David said, or Solomon said, I have a vision for how I should be leading these people. And I, I, I can't get there on my own. I don't know about you, but you are, I wanna be surrounded by people who, who constantly have an expanding vision, who constantly have a growing vision for what God is calling them to do. And I don't mean always always doing dumb things. I mean there's this desire in your heart that you are not, you haven't arrived yet. I was talking to a pastor recently, he was telling me how he's been really encouraging the, the, the men in his church to you know, have dreams and, and, and go for those dreams and goals and things like that. And I think that's awesome. But I was thinking about it and I was like, man, you know, anybody who's been 12 years old has had a dream. <laughs> I mean, All of it. I was 12 years old once. I remember, right? You're, you're, you're 10, you're 11, you're 12. You're going to change the world, right? You're going to have this amazing marriage. You're going to have these amazing kids. You're going you're gonna to change the world. You're going to do something beneficial with your life. You're going to do something fulfilling with your life. It's going to be great. And then we get older. And so it's, it's almost like we don't need to have people get new dreams and goals and stuff we just need to figure out why we gave up on our old ones when did we drop our vision down to the level of what we thought we could manage when did we settle for you know punching a time clock coming home sitting on the couch when did when when was that enough when was that okay when was it when when was it okay just for us to go through life and go through the ritual and you know have arguments and things but you know it's not that bad and this is bad. and when when was that our vision did you do anybody grow up with that like the, 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 we, this what we were going for no somewhere along the line we took we, we, we thought we were adjusting to reality, but really we were adjusting to our resources. And yet Solomon says, that's not good enough for me. I have this vision, God, and I, I need more wisdom to get there. Uh, uh, Emilio, our, our young adult leader, on Monday night we got a little staff director's meeting. Emilio started talking about the young adult ministry and that's why I love having Emilio around because he He's always dreaming. His vision's always expanding. So they're doing some crazy stuff here in the fall young adults taking risks uh, Taking advances for the kingdom of God just shaking it up I you know like I think I think that's awesome. I think that's great I want people around me that that dream bigger than than what they can do (laughs) If your dreams are match your resources, then then okay it's over you're done you're done dreaming but solomon says there's more that i could be doing there's more that i should be doing i need god's wisdom which brings which brings me to the promise of god found in in james uh, chapter one this is a promise that we've read several times i'm sure you've you've heard in church several times verse five He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to everybody without finding fault. In other words, he doesn't hold it against you that you're lacking. He gives generously to everyone. God gives wisdom to everybody. Democrats, God gives wisdom. You know what I'm saying? Republicans, come on somebody. God gives wisdom. Straight people, gay people, God gives wisdom to everybody. This offer is to everybody. Baptists, yes, wisdom. (laughs) I hope you guys are catching on. I mean, Charismatics, Pentecostals, God gives wisdom to everybody. The offer is open to everyone. You don't have to clean yourself up before God gives you wisdom. You don't have to figure life out before he will give you wisdom. And when you come to him and say, man, I'm really lacking, he doesn't hold it against you. He's not like, man, you know, I really thought you'd have a little bit by now. Um, I don't think I can give any to you. He gives it freely, generously, above even what you ask for. He pours it out on you. He's like, man, you want a little bit of wisdom? Okay, I'll give you a lot of wisdom. He gives it to every man, every woman, every child, every seven-year-old that asks God for wisdom. I was talking to Madden this week, and, and she, was, she was talking about how, you know, she didn't know how to be good. <laughs> and I said, welcome to the world, honey. Welcome to life. This is what I've been going through for the past 36 years. been trying to figure out, that's what wisdom is. How do I take what I know I shouldn't do, and how do I actually do it? And I said, honey, look, but you can always pray and ask God to give you wisdom. And that's the one prayer that he says he will answer every single time. Every single time. I mean, you can pray for bonuses on the job, and sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. But but, but when you ask God for wisdom, he gives it liberally, pours it out, and he doesn't hold it against you. But the key to this verse is actually the verses preceding. it. so I'd like to go to that real quick. Verses 2 through 4, James is, is, is writing under, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he sets up this idea of God giving wisdom, specifically in response to our asking and our lacking, with this almost strange scripture. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Oh good, he's about to talk about something wonderful. <laughs> Wait, hold up. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The original word there is temptations of various kinds. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of various kinds. Why in the world would I consider it joy? What is, what is he talking about? I mean, consider it pure joy when, you know, when they get your order right at McDonald's. Now that's, that's good, right? Like, you know, the Happy Meal actually works out the way it's supposed to. That's good. You don't have to run back in. Consider it pure joy when when you get a flat white at Starbucks. Come on, somebody. Consider it pure joy when you got when you got a bunch of donuts left over because all the kids haven't eaten them yet. And so after church, you can maybe get a, a donut. I mean, consider it pure joy when something good happens. Consider it pure joy when your kids behave well. Consider it pure joy when people tell you they're proud of you. Consider it pure joy when you get a promotion on the job or consider it pure joy when Pastor Harry's preaching because it's awesome. All of these things are good. Consider it pure joy. But wait a minute. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, what in the world's going on here? Well, let me tell you. James and the Holy Spirit speaking through James knows something that you don't. That's what wisdom is. Most of the time, we we don't make the right decisions because we're not fully informed. We don't even feel correctly about our situation because we're not fully informed. And this is what he says. He says, because you know. I don't know how you naturally know this except the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. But he's revealing it right here in James chapter 1, verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Because you know that the testing of your faith. The difficult thing about preaching about wisdom is that as soon as you start talking about the desire for the lofty wisdom of God, immediately pretty much all of us start feeling like we don't measure up. (laughs) <laughs> you know immediately the, the, the response is yeah that would have been good about 30 years ago if I would have known that that's a little late now I've already messed some things up I've already gone down this trail I've already started this road it's not good timing for me Pastor Harry talk about wisdom I'm just trying to like you know get, get out of debt you pay off one of my credit cards maybe you know like uh, how in the world am I going to but but this is, this is is this is what I think all of us are facing and this is the talk that James gives before he talks about asking God for wisdom he says first of all you need to rejoice when you uh it says whenever you face various trials but actually the the original word there actually means that when you become surrounded by various trials it's almost like a it's almost like a kaleidoscope right you look through a kaleidoscope and there's various colors and so many colors and you twist it a little bit and all the colors change and it's almost like you're in the middle of this kaleidoscope of trouble (laughs) <laughs> and you try to—I mean, some sometimes. when and I meet to counsel people, and we're like, "So, what should we talk about?" And they're like, "Where do I start? I don't know. Is this going on? Then there's that going on, and it's—it's it's like you're surrounded by so many different variations and complex trouble and temptations. It's like you—you—you—you you, you, you try to focus on one for 30 seconds, and you've turned your back on another. That's what happens when you're surrounded. Suddenly, everything—you like can't really even focus on a particular trial. I mean, you try to—you try to work on your anger issues, and then—and then—and then, and then, and then issues come up and then and then and then there's always your parents and then there I gotta be careful not the point and then there's like you know you're your co-workers and then and then then there's people in the church and then so-and-so walked by you and didn't say hi that obviously means they hate you and then and then there's you know (laughs) just fill you in for non-church people that's what it means and so you know there's all these like you're surrounded you don't even know where to start. You don't even know what to work on first. You got debt piling up. You got you, you got issues. You're probably going to lose your job any day. The economy's going down. And then the current election alone is like, who... And uh, what the, you know, so it's, it's uh, all right, got to turn my back on that for a minute because i got stuff at home I'm trying to deal with, you know what I'm saying? It's like all of this kaleidoscope of trouble. And James says, hey, when that happens, you ought to smile and rejoice because, wow, God is treating you really well. And it's like, no, I need counseling. I need to get out of here. <laughs> What's going on? And, and, and James says, okay, look, when that starts happening, you need to rejoice. And here's why. Because the testing of your faith. And that word testing doesn't make much sense to us, but it, it, it literally means like furnace or burning or putting into a furnace, putting into a burning. Uh, and the reason for that is it means to prove. So like nowadays, if you walk in um, to a store and, and you, you go to buy something and it's 50 bucks, you whip, that, you whip out a $50 bill, you hand it to the cashier, they're going to check it. Right, they're going to hold it up to the light. They're going to prove to make sure that it's a real $50 bill. Because, you know, you could have had your little Xerox scanner and just, you know, printed something, I guess. I don't know. And, uh, but there are people that do that. They, they specialize in these things. And so there's ways of proving, making sure that it's an authentic $50 bill. And it's pretty painless. It's pretty simple. It takes about three seconds. And then you go along your way. Well, in ancient times, they didn't have paper money. So there was no, like, holding that up to the light. In ancient times, they had solid metal you know like gold silver thing bronze brass things like that and so you could walk into a store and you say look i got this ounce of gold and i want to buy that chariot right there right ounce of gold chariot awesome take the ounce put it on a little weight a little scale and the scale measures it's an ounce now the the salesman is not going to hand you he's not going to direct you to your chariot just yet he's going to test your gold because there are some shady people out there um that we've heard about. And um, they they, they might take a pebble, right, and like cover that in gold so that it weighs about an ounce, but really it's like a quarter an ounce of gold and so they kinda, you know, steal. And so they figured this out. So the salesman would say, okay, well, hold on just a second. I need to test to make sure that this gold is really gold. And so they would take your gold and they would put it on a metal tray and they would put it into a furnace and close the door. (laughs) And the heat, the temperature starts rising. That your gold becomes surrounded by various trials and persecutions and temptations, and suddenly, this strong, stout piece of gold that you thought you had, it starts melting. Now, it's important to understand the furnace doesn't steal any of the gold. Your trials and your temptations cannot steal your joy, cannot steal your faith, cannot steal your, your hope, cannot steal your wisdom. The stuff you're going through, it's not like, it, those things don't, don't detract from you, they can't. They, 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 they can't. The furnace can't just suck the gold out, it doesn't happen, gold does not evaporate, it melts down. And what happens is you start to see what was on the inside. And, and for many of us, when we get into the furnace, when we get into fiery trousers, suddenly we're not quite a, as weighty as we thought that we were. And we think the furnace stole our gold, but it didn't. It just revealed what was really on the inside. And this is a natural process, and I want you to know this, because it seems like every time somebody gets baptized, they go in the furnace. Anytime you attempt to purchase something for God, He's going to stick you in the furnace. It's not the devil. It's not the devil. He's not like oh, there's just all these attacks. Yeah, well, kind of. But what it's doing is it's melting down the facade of strength and value that you have, because it's really easy to say, "I'm committed to God for the rest of my life, and I'm going to get baptized." You get baptized, you come back up. You just bought a whole lifetime worth of commitment. Your gold is going to be tested. It's easy to stand up and, and, and do a vow renewal. You just, re- or, 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 or have a wedding, and you, you vow for the rest of your life to be faithful to this person. Your gold is going to be tested. You're going to go through the furnace. And it's not that, it's not that all of the world is against you. It's not that everything's falling apart. It's just that, that we are going to see what you got. And primarily, God wants you to see what you got. Because otherwise, you buy a lot of stuff on credit, and you don't ever get it. God's not like your typical salesman, though. When, when your typical salesman pulls out the tray and sees that you got a quarter of an ounce, he's like, yeah, you're not going to get that chariot, buddy. You're, um, <laughs> you're, you only got a quarter of an ounce. This is the difference between God and salesman. Scripture, my final passage, is found in Ephesians chapter 1. This is Paul's prayer. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom. And this is why James says, if anybody lacks of wisdom, okay, we just talked about you going in the fire. We just talked about you getting melted down. If you go through that and you figure out that you don't have enough to purchase what your commitment wanted to purchase. You figure out you don't have enough faith to purchase what, what, what God promised you. You figure out you don't have enough wisdom to actually own and possess what God has promised you. You go into the furnace and you figure out that you're not quite as strong as you thought that you were. Here's the deal. God is not your typical salesman. He's not going to give you back your quarter ounce and tell you to go home. Instead, he says, if anybody figures out that they are lacking, let him ask of God. Because when gold is melted down, it's in the perfect state to be added to. When gold's hard and and solid, you can't add gold to it. It's like two clumps, they fall apart. I don't know if you know this, but they (laughs) they clank against each other. One doesn't receive the other. But when you get melted down, you're in the perfect place for God to say, hold up, hold, hold up just a second. I got this, this pound of gold back here. His name is Jesus. And he, and he came to earth and he went through the fire. He went through every fire that you could, he was melted down. And in the middle of his greatest meltdown, on the cross he looked down at the people that were crucifying him and he said father forgive them for they don't know what they do what is he showing he's showing that he's gold straight up through right there's no rocks there's no coal there's no there's no impurities and he is wisdom he is the spirit of wisdom the holy spirit is the spirit of wisdom and god james and 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 paul says look i keep asking that god would impart wisdom into you That it's not, you don't have to learn from your mistakes, you can learn before your mistakes. You're, that's what wisdom is. Anyway, we'll get to that next week. But he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to impart something to you. That when you're melted down, you are in the perfect state to receive value. And at that point, you can purchase everything that heaven has promised you. You can buy joy and peace and fulfillment and destiny and making a difference. Everything that you, every promise that you read, it is for you. It is not for somebody else. It is intended for you. And he adds his weight to you. And in that melted down state, and in Christ's melted down state, the two of us can come together. And then you can't tell the two apart. <laughs> you can't distinguish. What was the original? What was the old? I don't know. They're both, they're, they're, they're blended. And this is the offer of, of God. The offer of wisdom. But you have to value it first. You have to assess your own value first. You have to, you have to go through you have to go through the fire. <laughs> That's a good fire analogy there. It's like, Whoa. It's kind of what it feels like, actually, when life is hidden. You, you, <laughs> you're, not, you're not a million miles away from God when you're in the furnace. He's watching you, he's right there with you. And he's not judging you to make sure, just get a little scorecard. Okay, now are you reading your Bible enough? Are you praying enough? Because if you, if, if you don't keep my commands, then that means you don't love me. And I'm just checking to make sure, that's not what it says. It says, if you love me, then you will keep. His, his intention is to draw you into love. His intention is not to judge. He will judge one day, absolutely we're not in that season yet we're still in the open season wisdom is still calling out to you and me saying you can have freedom you can have it all you can buy the whole shop you can walk in say I'll take that I'll take that I'll take that I'll take healing I'll take restoration I'll take family I'll take I'll take freedom I'll take I'll, I'll, I'll just yeah I'll just take one of everything I'll take it all not because you got enough gold or faith or wisdom in yourself but because God is adding to you the wisdom of heaven Can we just pray for just a moment? Let's close our eyes.